The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. Our scripture reading for the day is Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. So if you have a Bible, you can grab it now and follow along. That's Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father to him, be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The word of the Lord. So I do invite you, if you haven't already, to open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. I, I don't remember exactly how young I was, but I really wanted to see the cool movie that my older sister's youth group was watching. So I snuck in and I hid in the back of the viewing room only to have this 1972 film fill my imagination with, with images of horror. Christians uh, disappeared from the earth in something called the rapture. Everyone else was was left behind underneath some kind of worldwide ruthless regime in which dissenters from that regime were persecuted and beheaded in parking lots. Like, it was an unending nightmare of, of plagues and persecution and bloodshed and death. That film, A Thief in the Night, was my introduction to the revelation. And it filled my heart with fear for years. Perhaps you experienced something similar. Many of you probably experienced your introduction to the book of Revelation through a series of books very similar to that film that I saw. Books that were released in the mid-90s and early 2000s, 14 of them called the Left Behind series. By the time those came out, I wouldn't touch them because the 1972 film already had me freaked enough. But they basically had the exact same plot line. And, and like I, I kid you 
not. As a result of all of this, I had nightmares and near panic attacks. As a result, I avoided the book of Revelation like it was one of the plagues recorded in it. And when I finally did muster up the courage to read it, I was actually so confused. I was confused because I did not, I expected to find the plot line for the Thief in the Night movie or the plot line for the Left Behind books that I had experienced, and I did not find it at all. But just so you know, neither did 1,800 years worth of Christians. Like that entire popular concept of how to interpret the book of Revelation, where there's like this rapture of the church, seven intense years of persecution under some world leader, the Antichrist, and then Jesus comes back, that entire framework did not exist until the mid-1800s. 1,800 years of Christians did not find it. And I don't want to be disrespectful to that. Lots of Christians that I know and love hold to that. Maybe you hold to that. But I have a really hard time seeing if 1,800 years worth of Christians didn't see it, how is that what's here? I didn't find it. But when I did read this book, what I did find, I did not understand. Seals and trumpets and bowls of wrath and dragons and beasts and horns and eyes and stars falling from the sky. Like, what in the world is going on? And so I moved from being filled with fear to being filled with confusion. This book was seemingly incomprehensible, and thus I began to think it must be irrelevant. I mean, if I can't even understand it, if the people who do claim to understand it say that it describes future events that I'm not going to be around for anyway, then what does it even matter to me in the here and now? This book always seemed to me growing up to be used more for fear-based evangelism, to scare people about what's to come so that they'll believe, it seemed to be used more for fear-based evangelism than it was ever used for courage-building discipleship. It filled me with fear, confusion. I thought it irrelevant. And all of that ultimately left me feeling defeated. I mean, I was sure that Revelation was supposed to mean something. I was sure it's it's supposed to be important. I mean, it's the end of the Bible for crying out loud. I just guessed that it was beyond me. The Revelation left me feeling defeated. I'm willing to bet that more than a few of you have felt the same way when it comes to the book of Revelation. In fact, I know you feel this way because when I posted on Instagram a couple of weeks ago that we were going to begin studying this book, I got more private messages in response to that post than I ever had before. And do you know what those messages were filled with? Fear, confusion, Questions of relevance and confessions of defeat. I mean, even those who expressed excitement about this series did so because they were hoping to overcome feelings of fear, confusion, irrelevance, and defeat. And Shades, I am praying that is exactly what will happen. That we will overcome those things. I'm praying that this book will turn us into overcomers conquerors for that is the aim of this book this is not a book about fear-based evangelism it is a book of courage building discipleship 
Its aim is to turn us into conquerors in Christ. This, this book aims to show you and I how to conquer. It does that by showing us how to follow the one who has conquered. How to follow Jesus. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The one who makes fear flee. The one who brings clarity where there is confusion. The one who could never be irrelevant because he is relevance incarnate. And his people cannot suffer defeat because he has conquered for them. Shades. This is an invitation. Will you come and see with me the revelation of this Let's begin seeing it this morning by simply asking two questions. This morning, just a big introduction, big invitation, going big picture here, and we just got two questions to ask, and that's what and why. What is revelation? Like, I mean, this thing that's caused so much fear and confusion, what, why? Is it because we haven't understood it for what it is? What exactly is it? And why is revelation? Like, why? Why did God give us this? I mean, if, if it only causes fear and confusion, then it seems rather irrelevant. Why even read it and just admit defeat and move on? Why? This morning we're going to ask what and why. So, first, what? What is the revelation? Verses 1-4 to actually reveal to us that revelation is three things. It is an apocalypse. It is a prophecy. And it is a letter. What is the revelation? It's at least those three things. We're going to break them down one at a time. Revelation is an apocalypse, it's a prophecy, and it's a letter. Let's take them one at a time. First of all, revelation is an apocalypse. What's funny is that I literally just said the apocalypse is an apocalypse. Because the Greek word that we translate as revelation is the word apocalypsis. It, it literally means to unveil. It's what, it's what happens when uh, a stage curtain is pulled back and you get to see backstage. Something is unveiled. Something is revealed. Hence why we translate the word revelation. It's revealing something, unveiling something. An apocalypse is an unveiling. But that begs the question, an unveiling of what? I think most people, if they were asked that question, would answer the future. An apocalypse is an unveiling of the end times. I mean, the very word, when we hear that word, the very word apocalypse drums up in our heads images of things like The Walking Dead or your favorite end-of-the-world disaster movie. Deep Impact, anybody? Where are my 90s kids at? I'm just kidding, that movie was terrible. Anyway, an apocalypse, we think, unveils the end of the world, Right? Isn't that why we even have movies like A Thief in the Night and book series like The Left Behind? Because Revelation is basically a timeline of the end times. It's, it's almost like God took the Apostle John, our author, took him into the future, and John didn't have a video camera, so he had to write down what he saw as best he could. I mean, surely the stars falling from the sky in chapter 6 are actually nuclear bombs. John was seeing some future warfare, and he didn't know any other way to describe it. And maybe those freaky-looking locusts in chapter 9, those are actually his best attempt at describing helicopters. Or, or maybe, maybe if we get the calculations just right, then we can decrypt that mark of the beast in chapter 13, and we'll figure out the reason that you have to have it in order to buy and sell, because it's some kind of microchip that goes in your hand. Or forehead, that would be weird, how you scan in that. 
at the anyway sorry moving on but this is why we think we study the book of revelation to to decode it and figure out the future that's what comes to our mind when we hear the word apocalypse but shades is probably the basis of everything else I'm going to say, and the most important thing I'm going to say this morning for you to latch on to how we are going to look at this book. This may be how we hear the word apocalypse, but we are not the first to hear this word. This book was written and first read to Christians around the year 95 AD. It was to them before it is to us. We, we must understand what it meant to them before we can ever know what it means for us. And when they heard the opening word, apocalypsis, they knew exactly what was about to be unveiled, revealed. They knew it because to them, apocalypse was a genre of literature, a type of literature it was very common in their day and they knew exactly how to read it just like we know how to read types of literature genres of literature that we are familiar with you know immediately whether or not you are reading a newspaper or science fiction like it and you don't read those two things the same way that's a good thing because in fact if you got those genres mixed up it could have disastrous results i wonder if you've heard the most famous story of when that exact same thing when that exact thing happened News and science fiction got mixed up. In uh, October 30th, 1938, CBS Radio did a broadcast. It was a broadcast of Orson Welles' book, or a summary plot of it for radio. Um, the, the book was uh, The War of the Worlds. And a lot of people tuned into that and thought they were hearing an actual news broadcast of Martians landing on the earth. And it caused hysteria. People misunderstood the genre, and it had disastrous results. Could it be that we have done the same thing with Revelation? Could it be that we have misunderstood the genre of apocalypse and what it aims to unveil? What, what is this thing? What is an apocalypse? I'll give you my simplest definition, which is long. It's got four parts, but don't worry. We're going to walk through and break it down. Here's my simplest shot at a definition of what an apocalypse is. An apocalypse is a heavenly message from God that comes through an angel to his prophet in symbolic visions to give God's perspective on the present in light of the future. One more time. Apocalypse is a heavenly message from God that comes through an angel to his prophet in symbolic visions to give God's perspective on the present in light of the future. And the original readers, or the original hearers actually, of the Revelation would have immediately recognized that was exactly what they were hearing. They would have recognized, we're hearing an apocalypse. Why? Because one, this is a heavenly message from God. Look at verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him. This is a message from God. The following chapters are going to show that it comes straight from his throne. 
This is what apocalypses stress. While all prophecy will claim to be from God, apocalypses put a massive stress on its divine heavenly origin. That's what we got. Heavenly message from God. Secondly, it comes through an angel to God's prophet. Look at the end of verse 1. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Again, this is standard for apocalyptic literature. The message comes to a prophet through an angel. Why through an angel? The angel is going to kind of act like a guide for the prophet as he gets the message. And the prophet needs a guide. Why? Because the message that comes to him through the angel comes, number three, in the form of symbolic visions. It's not just straightforward, cut and dry, thus says the Lord. He needs a guide helping him to understand what it is that he's seeing this message apocalyptic messages come through symbolic visions look at the end of verse one again he made it known by sending his angel to his servant john i emphasize that phrase made it known because the greek word underneath that is semino which literally means to signify John is actually echoing the language of Daniel chapter 2 right here. Daniel chapter 2 is a symbolic vision. Like like in other words, we're having a flag raised for us right here to say the way that God is about to make things known, the way he's about to unveil them is going to be through signs. He's going to signify things through symbolic visions. Apocalypse is not just revelation, but you can read other apocalypses from this time. They are heavy laden with, with imagery, with metaphors with symbolic numbers with with signs and symbols they are not a videotape of the future john wasn't seeing bombs fall from the sky in chapter six he was seeing stars there's symbols there's signs he wasn't seeing helicopters in chapter nine he was seeing demonic looking locusts they're metaphors almost all of which are drawn from the old testament we're going to see that here in just a minute An apocalypse is not a videotape of the future. An apocalypse is not a a nice, neat, chronological timeline of the end of the world. I mean, just try. Just try to make a timeline out of Revelation. Have you ever seen somebody do that? It's one of the most confusing charts you'll ever see in your life. And it's got to be. Because Revelation doesn't just move nicely through time, like this chronological videotape of here's how the world's going to end. No. When you read Revelation, what you'll realize is that it moves forward in time, and then it goes backwards in time. It zooms in sometimes, it zooms out sometimes, it repeats events over and over. For instance, for instance, as we journey through this book, we are going to see visions of the second coming of Christ in chapter 6. By the way, there's only one second coming of Christ, but we're going to see it in chapter 6 and in chapter 11, and in chapter 14, and 16, and 19, and 21. Like, like how many times can the world end and Jesus come back? By the way, when we see the second coming at the end of chapter 11, right after that, at the beginning of chapter 12, we're going to get a vision of the birth of Christ. Like, try putting that on a timeline. You You can't! Because Revelation is not unveiling an end times 
timeline. It is not primarily even concerned with the end times. It does talk about them. That's not its primary concern. That's not what it's aiming to unveil. So what is it unveiling? It takes us to the fourth and final part of our definition of what an apocalypse is. It's, it's a heavenly message from God sent to His prophet through an angel in symbolic visions. Fourth, in order to provide God's perspective on the present in light of the future. That's that's what the first hearers of Revelation would be expecting to be unveiled. Something about their present. Something about the situation we're in right now. In light of how things are going to end. God is trying to give us a different perspective. His perspective. They would expect that because that's what an apocalypse is. Heavenly message from God comes through an angel to his prophet in symbolic visions to give God's perspective on the present in light of the future. Look at verse 1 again. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. John is echoing the language of Daniel chapter 2 again, but he tweaks it. Daniel talks about God showing things to his servants that will take place in the latter days, in the last days. John changes that to the word soon. Not, Not to show you what will take place in the last days, but to show you what will take place soon. Because from John's perspective, the latter days, the last days are here. They've begun already. No, they're not done. They won't be done until Christ returns. But when Jesus came the first time, died, rose, ascended, that time, at that moment, the last days began. It, read through the New Testament. The whole of the New Testament consistently testifies that from the time of Christ's first coming until He comes again, that whole time period, from His first coming to His second, that whole time period, those are the last days, and the church lives in them. All throughout this series, when you hear me talk about the last days, don't think I'm talking about something that's coming down the road in the future. It's something that began with the ascension of Christ, continues till He comes again. We are in them. Welcome. John's going to say that. In verse 9, I'm your brother and partner in the kingdom and tribulation. We in it. His kingdom's already started. He's already reigning. He's going to say that in verse 5. Jesus is already ruling and reigning as a king. We're already citizens of his kingdom. He's going to say that in verse 6. But yeah, we got tribulation right now. We're in this overlap of the ages. The last days have begun. They are already here, but not yet finished. The kingdom is already here but not yet come in full. This is the conviction of the entire New Testament. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2. In these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son. In them, right now, when Jesus came, last days started. One of the epistles of our author, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18, he says, children, it is the last hour. No, not the last hour, it's coming. It is the last hour. Shades. In Revelation, God is not unveiling a timeline 
for, of, of far-off future events. He is unveiling His perspective, God's perspective, on how the church is to live in the last days, which have already begun. He's unveiling His perspective on how the church is to live in the last days in light of the future fact that Christ will come. This is what an apocalypse is. And this is what prophecy does. Prophecy speaks to the people of God in their present and calls them to action in their present. And Revelation, we said, is three things. It's not just an apocalypse, but the second thing it also is, is it is also prophecy. See that with me now. Second thing, what is Revelation? It is also prophecy. Verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. John's a prophet. He sees himself in line in, in the same line as all the Old Testament prophets. In fact, uh, New Testament scholar Richard Bauckham, who does brilliant work on Revelation, don't agree with him everywhere, but he does brilliant work, he calls Revelation the climax of Old Testament prophecy. Because throughout it, John basically gathers up all the messages of the Old Testament prophets and he unveils how they all come together and come to a conclusion in Christ. I mean, get this, Shades. Revelation is 404 verses long. In those 404 verses, it alludes to the Old Testament over 500 times. You, you can't understand this book divorced from the Old Testament. This is why I told you earlier, all of its signs, its symbols, its metaphors, its numbers, we don't just get to pick out of the sky what we think those mean. John knows they have meaning. We've got to go back to the Old Testament, mind the Old Testament in order to see what they what they mean. John is constantly alluding to the Old Testament. I already told you this morning that he alludes to Daniel chapter 2. What I haven't told you is in these verses we're looking at, he also alludes to Daniel 7, to Psalm 89, to Exodus 3, to Zechariah 12, to Isaiah 41, and more. I just don't want to bore you with listing them all. The revelation is the pinnacle of prophecy. Now, as soon as I say that, when many people think of prophecy, they immediately think about foretelling the future. Kind of like we do with apocalypse, only with apocalypse we think about the very end. With prophecy we think about foretelling the future. But biblical prophets are not fortune tellers. And fortune telling is actually against the Old Testament law. They're not, they're not even primarily foretellers. They are primarily forth tellers what do i mean by that i mean i mean they tell forth the word of god like like just read the old testament prophets they're they're preachers and proclaimers not not predictors they are constantly calling god's people they're preaching and calling them to repentance right now in this moment they're calling kings and kingdoms to repentance right now. In this moment, turn from your sin. Turn back to God. Yes, they do prophesy about things to come. But even when they do that, the point is to bring that future to bear on the present and call God's people to present action. 
And that's precisely what the Revelation does as an apocalyptic prophecy. It brings the future to bear on the present and calls for present action. Just, you can see that. Just read the rest of verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep. Who keep, who do this. What's written in this book, they do it right now. They obey it. They put it into practice. John believes that his words are very relevant for the present moment. Blessed is the one who keeps what is written. Why? For the time is near. Or better translated, the time is at hand. He's stealing Jesus' words from Mark chapter 1 and verse 15. When Jesus said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Same root word here. What did Jesus mean when he said the kingdom of God is at hand? He means it's here. Now. It's beginning. Now. John means the same thing. The last time, the hours, the last hour is here. It's beginning. Now. Therefore. This revelation, it's not just about far off future stuff that's irrelevant to you and you get to ignore. No, it's full of stuff we're supposed to keep. We're supposed to obey. Practice. This is about our present. Yes, Revelation does prophesy about the end. But even when it does, the point is to bring that future to bear on the present and call God's people to present action. It's, it's like this. Think, uh, imagine the second coming of Christ like a sunrise okay a a sunrise begins to give light by which you can see it begins to give light by which you can see before the sun ever actually even breaks the horizon the future coming sun helps you see in the present and the future coming christ future coming of Christ is meant to help us see life in the present the way God sees it. Does the world look huge around you? In control? Does God look small? What happens when you bring the future of God's ruling kingdom and earth's fallen and shattered kingdoms to bear on the present? That's what apocalyptic prophecies do. And they change how we live right now. They give us God's perspective on the present in light of the future. That's what Revelation is unveiling. God's perspective on the last days that began with the resurrection and ascension of Christ and last until He comes again. The Revelation unveils God's perspective on how the church is to live in those last days. It's a book of discipleship. It's showing us how to live in the last days. This is what we need. Don't you want to know how to live right now? Until he comes again. This is what we need. This is what every generation of the church needs. This makes so much sense as to why the Bible would end this way. Until he comes, here's how to live. This is, this is what John's original audience needed. Which is why the Revelation is not just an apocalypse. 
It's not just a prophecy. It's also a letter. I told you it was three things. What is the revelation? It's an apocalypse. It's a prophecy. And it's a letter. Look at verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace. I said it earlier before Revelation is for us. It's for seven very real churches in a very real situation in the first century. And John means for them to read it and keep it. Like, it is addressed to them. It's supposed to make sense to them. It's not, it's not like a lot of people treat this book like just the first three chapters are for these seven churches and the rest is for people at some future date. No, the whole thing is for them. John assumes they can understand it, that it makes sense to them, that it's meant to help them see God's perspective on their present. And they need to see it because in these churches, present Rome is ruling and the pressure is rising. Like these, these seven churches, we're going to talk a lot more about this in the coming weeks, but these seven churches, they're in Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey, but in the first century it was was under the control of the Roman Empire. And at the time, Asia Minor, it was like on the cutting edge of the Roman religious system that demanded emperor worship. This beast-like empire demanded sacrifices be made to images of its emperor or face its wrath. And the temptation had to be strong for these Christians to just, just go along. I mean, when in the Roman Empire, do as the Romans do. I, I, I mean, if you do that, not, not only would that help you avoid persecution, but it could even open up a path to pleasure in life. Like, if you were able to make it in with Rome socially elite, and several of these cities in Asia Minor had that shot. If you're able to make it in with Rome's socially elite, there was, there was much wealth to be gained, sex, power to be had, trade, persecution for pleasure. Like, is that even a choice? I mean, these Christians are staring down, be defeated by Rome or conquer with Rome. At least that's what things look like from their earthly perspective. So John sends them an apocalypse. An unveiling of God's perspective on their present in light of the future in Christ. And God's perspective turns their world as they see it upside down. Revelation's going to show that to be defeated, to be killed by Rome, is to conquer with Christ eternally. To supposedly join Rome and conquer with Rome, that is to embrace eternal defeat. For Rome is not truly king, the true king is coming. That is what Revelation is unveiling. How to live in these last days as more than a conqueror in Christ. Here, seven churches in Asia Minor, here's how to live amidst a hostile culture. Here's how to live amidst corrupt politics. Here's how to live in a world full of suffering. Are you beginning to see why I think God's leading us to go through this book? Like, it's not because there's a pandemic going on, so Jonathan thinks the end of the world is coming. 
No, it's because I think that we, like the first century church, are in danger of bending the knee to the world. That is the ever-present danger in every generation of the church. To avoid rejection and persecution and instead to pursue pleasure in what the world has to offer. Instead of being annihilated by the world, be absorbed by it. Instead of being killed for Christ, compromise. And Revelation confronts that ever-present danger. This is what those seven churches needed and this is what we need, Shades, because we live in the last days too. We live in the last days in which beastly systems of this world still demand that we bend the knee, worship them, and blend in. And guess what? If we're willing, we can share in the life of pleasure that this world has to offer. But if not, prepare for persecution that comes in all sorts of forms. Shades, is is the temptation not so strong to just go along like how are we to live in these last days as more than conquerors through christ amidst a hostile culture you feel that amidst corrupt politics you see that anywhere amidst a world full of suffering we desperately need God's perspective on our lives. The revelation gives it to us because this apocalyptic, prophetic letter is addressed to us too. Not just to those churches in Asia. It is addressed to us too. I know that because John writes to seven churches. Seven. Like, why seven? There were more churches than that in Asia Minor. And yet John singles out, he doesn't even name them right here because that's not what's important. What's important is that there's seven of them. Why is that so important? Remember our genre. This is an apocalypse. It's heavy laden with imagery and signs and symbols. And one of the things that it uses symbolically is numbers. We are going to run into a lot of symbolic numbers. We're going to run into a lot of 12s and it's multiples that symbolize the people of God. We're we're going to run into, and I'll show you why it does when we get there. We're going to run into a lot of 4s and it's multiples that symbolize things that are worldwide, that are global. We'll run into thousands. We'll run into tens. And yes, we'll even run into those very infamous triple of sixes. But more than all of those, we are going to run into a ton of sevens. The number of completion. The number of fullness. Of totality. It it comes from the very beginning of the Bible. From the story of creation in which God creates the world in six days and He rests on the seventh because creation was complete. Thus, throughout the rest of the Bible, not just Revelation, but you can find it throughout the rest of the Bible, seven becomes a symbol for completeness. And we're going to find that to be true over and over again in the Revelation beginning right here. John 
addresses his letter to seven churches, yes, because it's written to them, but also because it is for the complete church, the total church, throughout the world and throughout all time. This apocalyptic prophetic letter has been written to unveil to the church in every age how to live as conquerors in Christ amidst these last days until he comes again. That's what it's for. The revelation, this is is God's grace and peace to you and to me. It's God's grace. His provision of the empowerment we need to live in the last days. It's God's peace. His peace that we need so that we won't be tempted by the peace that the pleasures of the world offer. This is God's grace and peace to us so that we may live as more than conquerors. Show us how to live as more than conquerors until He comes again. And this is why we need the revelation. We've seen what the revelation is. Secondly, and we're going to move quick. Secondly, we need to see why the revelation is. Like, why has God given this to us? We've already been hinting at it, but we're going to get more explicit. Why has God given us this apocalyptic prophetic letter? Short answer, He's given it to us to provide us with the grace and peace we need in these present last days. Why has He given us the revelation? To provide us with the grace and peace we need in these present last days. Look at verse 4 again. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you, and peace, but it's not coming from John. Where's it coming from? Grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come. Grace and peace. It's what the first century church needed. It's what, it's what we need. It's what the church in every age needs because we all live in the same last days and we all face the same temptation it may come in a lot of different ways but we all face the temptation to avoid persecution and instead seek the pleasures of this world thus we need grace and peace grace to empower us in the face of persecution and peace that no pleasure of this world can actually give we need the grace and peace of of revelation shades I want to give you four reasons we need the grace and peace of Revelation. We we need the grace and peace of Revelation. I think we see these in these next few verses. We need the grace and peace of Revelation so that we'll be filled with courage. We need the grace and peace of Revelation so that we will have clarity concerning our present situation. We need the grace and peace of Revelation so that we will be comforted and challenged. And ultimately, we need the grace and peace of Revelation so that we will conquer through Christ, persevere, endure to the end. This is why we need revelation, because it gives us the grace and peace we need to face this life. This is the exact opposite of what revelation gave me as a kid. It gave me fear, not courage. It gave me confusion, not clarity. I found it irrelevant, not comforting and challenging, relevant to every area of my life, ultimately it made me feel defeated, not like a conqueror, because I didn't see that what it was holding out to me was the very grace and peace of God. See that with me here. Why do we need revelation? I'm going to walk you through the four. Number one, because it gives us the grace and peace of courage. Gives us the grace and peace of courage. Look at verse four. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, 
and the ruler of the kings of earth. John says seven churches in Asia, Shades Valley, grace and peace is coming to you. Grace and peace that will give you courage in the present. It's coming to you, and it's coming from the triune God. Do you see that here? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who is, who was, and who is to come. That's that's a playoff of the divine name from Exodus chapter 3. You remember from Exodus 3, what did God say his name was? I am. Like I am. I'm the one who is. Which means I also am the one who was. And also I'm the one who is to come. Right? Grace and peace comes from this God who always has been, who always is, who always will be. He rules over all time. That's the God giving you grace and peace. Does that give you courage? It's not only coming from God the Father, it also comes from God the Spirit. Described here as the seven spirits before the throne. What is that? We've already talked about the symbolism of the number seven. It means completeness or fullness. In other words, this grace and peace comes from the fullness of God's Spirit empowering you. When Jesus promised to give you the Holy Spirit, He wasn't promising part of the Spirit, a little bit of Spirit, the full and complete power of the Holy Spirit of God. That's who's giving you this grace and peace. Does that give you courage? Not just coming from the Father who was and is to come. Not just coming from the fullness of the Spirit. Also coming from the Son. From Jesus Christ, who is described in three ways here. He is the ultimate and faithful witness. That's His prophetic office. He's the ultimate faithful witness to who God is. That's meant to give you... So He is the one, and because He's the ultimate faithful witness... He is the one who can give you the grace and peace you need to be a faithful witness. He's not just the faithful witness. He is the firstborn of the dead. That's a reference to his priestly office. He died and he rose again. So he is the one who can give you grace and peace to be a faithful witness even if it costs you your life because he has already conquered death and can give you life beyond the grave. He's not just the faithful witness and the firstborn from the dead. But John finally says right here, you need not fear any earthly power, no threat from any king, not even if they threaten you with death, because who is Christ? He is the ruler of the kings of earth. It's a reference to his kingly office. Does this give you courage? This is why we need the revelation. It gives us the grace and peace of courage. Not only that, number two, It gives us the grace and peace of clarity. Not confusion, but clarity. Verse 4 just told us about Christ the prophet, Christ the priest, Christ the king. He's the prophet who speaks forth the word of God as his faithful witness. He's the priest who sacrificed his own life, became the firstborn from the dead, and he is the king who was the ruler of all the kings of the earth. That is who he is. And in light of that, verse 5 declares clarity about who we are. Look at verse 5. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Through what our prophet, priest, and king has done, he has made us a kingdom. He's loved us and shed his blood on the cross in our place for our sins and set us free to be citizens of his kingdom. Not just any kingdom, it's a kingdom of priests. Priests are people who represent God to others. As Christians, we don't have priests. We are priests. We, 
We are God's representatives to the world who have been given a prophetic word to share that all glory and honor belongs to Him who reigns forever and ever. We worship Him before the world as a witness to the world. That's what these, this kingdom of priests is doing in verses 5 and 6. Did you notice that? This is a doxology. He's made us a kingdom and priest so that we worship and witness by our worship. We give a prophetic witness to the world of who God is and that he deserves all glory and honor and praise. Our prophet, priest, and king has made us a kingdom of priests with a prophetic witness. And the revelation unveils exactly what that looks like for us to live out in worship. It, this book reveals exactly who we are and what we're called to do and how we're called to do it. How it is that we are to be a kingdom of priests bearing witness to the world, prophetic witness to the world through worship right now. That's what Revelation unveils. It gives us the grace and peace of clarity for how to live as the people of God right now. Why do we need Revelation? Because it gives us the grace and peace of clarity. Not only that, Number three, it gives us the grace and peace of comfort and challenge. It gives us the grace and peace of comfort and challenge. In other words, this isn't irrelevant to our lives like I thought it was as a kid. It's relevant no matter what we need. Whether what you need is comfort or whether what you need is challenge. Look at verse 7. Behold, He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see Him even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so. Amen. Do you need to be comforted? Like are you, are you currently facing persecution? Suffering? Rejection? Are you being mocked or ridiculed on account of Christ? Hear this word. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. It's from Daniel chapter 7. It's a promise, a guarantee that Christ will come to make all things new and He will rule forever. Be comforted. Or do you need to be challenged? Like are you daily tempted to, to seek the pleasures of this world? Are you daily tempted to bend the knee and call our culture king instead of Christ? Then hear his word, behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, those who rejected him. And what will they do on that day? They will wail on account of him. Be challenged. Everything in Revelation has the double design of comforting and challenging us. It's got this double design. The day of the Lord, when Christ comes again, it will be a day of salvation and judgment. Therefore, when we hear of it, it does one of two things to us always. Comforts us or calls us out of comfort. Challenges us. Everything has this double design of comforting and challenging us as it makes us see our present in light of the future that Christ will come to both save and judge. He will come and His Word will come from His mouth like a double-edged sword cutting both ways. This is a great grace to us. 
His Word is not irrelevant to our lives. No matter where you are, it's relevant because it either comforts or challenges. This is a great grace to you because no matter where you are, it's meant to lead you to peace and pleasure in Him. You need to be comforted. It's going to bring you to peace and pleasure in Him. You need to be challenged. That's to bring you to peace and pleasure in Him. Why do we need revelation? Because it gives us the grace of it gives us the grace and peace of comfort and challenge. And not only that, but fourthly and finally, it gives us all the grace and peace we need to conquer. Why do we need this book? Because it gives us all the grace and peace we need to conquer. Look at verse 8, final verse of our passage. God Himself speaks, and He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. That's the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. It's like saying, I am the A to the Z. And just in case we didn't get the point, he says it another way. I'm the one who is and who was and who is to come. I'm the A to Z. I rule over all. And just in case you still don't get the point, I am the Almighty. Guaranteed. I, I brought creation into being. I sustain creation. I will bring new creation. I will because I am the Almighty. Will this God the Alpha, Omega, who is, who was, who is to come, the Almighty over all. Will this God not provide us with all we need to conquer? That is what He has provided in the Revelation. This book is an unveiling of all we need to conquer because it is an unveiling of Christ. And Christ is all we need to conquer. One more time, look at verse 1. The revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. That phrase doesn't just mean that this revelation is from Jesus. It does mean that. But it also means this revelation is about Jesus. He's the one being revealed. He's the one being unveiled. Just Next week, in the rest of chapter 1, we're going to catch a glimpse of Jesus unveiled in all of His glory. By the time we get to chapter 5, we're going to see Him standing at the very center of all reality, at the center of the story of the cosmos, as the slain yet resurrected Lamb with all of history placed in His hands. And throughout this book, we will find ourselves enlisted in that Lamb's army, conquering by that Lamb's blood, and called in chapter 14 and verse 4 to follow that Lamb where ever he goes this is the revelation of christ an unveiling of how the lamb who was slain has conquered now and forever so that we might see how that changes our now and forever revelation is an unveiling of all we need to conquer because all we need to conquer is christ this is the unveiling of christ do you want to see him shades Let's see Him. I promise, if you'll come with me on this journey, hang in there, I promise it will not ultimately fill you with fear, but with courage. It will not ultimately leave you confused, but will bring clarity to this life. I promise you it's not irrelevant, but relevant to you no matter where you are, no matter what you need, comfort or challenge. And this, I promise, will not ultimately leave you defeated. It will lead you to conquer through Christ. Come 
with me. And let's see the revelation, the unveiling of Jesus.